You're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast, a show about board and card games as well as the people that play them. Episode 7. Is gaming a cost-effective hobby? In today's show, I'll update you with some board gaming news of future expansions that are being released. I'll also discuss a first impression of a recent filler game that I got to enjoy called 8-Minute Empire. And the discussion topic later will reflect on whether gaming is a cost-effective hobby. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Broken Meeple Podcast. It's been a good couple of weeks since my last broadcast that was released, and since then I've got to enjoy a few extra games, but my main highlight has been testing out Terra Mystica with various new people, including teaching the rules myself. You can look forward to a review of Terra Mystica coming in this week. I've almost finished the review, I just got to get some photos to go with it and then upload it onto the site, so maybe around Tuesday, Wednesday time, I suspect that will be uploaded. I've also made a couple of new purchases in my collection, that being of Seasons, which is a great dice slash card game, kind of a bit like Magic the Gathering with a bit more strategy, uh, that was very enjoyable when I first played it, so I will get a review of that in the coming months. But the main box that has taken somewhat a lot of room on my table is Caverner the Cave Farmers, the new game by Yuri Rosenberg, which is kind of like Agricola 2.0, I would want to call it. Uh, I haven't even played this game yet, I just enjoy Agricola that much that I thought, oh, I've got to try Caverner, this is definitely going to be a game I enjoy. But will it replace a Grippler, or will it sit alongside? I don't know, but you can guarantee I'm going to be doing a review in the coming months, probably at some point late November, maybe early December. I need to get some time to play the game, and I will report on that, because I know that's a big question that everyone's asking. But for now, here's the news. First we kickstart with Seasons that I've just mentioned. Seasons has already had one expansion, Enchanted Kingdom, which was released earlier this year. Didn't add a huge amount to the game, just a few extra cards, a couple of new rules, and that's here and there. You know, nothing major, but nothing bad either. But it's been revealed that next March 2014 there is another expansion of a similar size called Path of Destiny to be released. And again, it's just mainly adding a few extra cards. However, there is... Rules about a destiny dice, that's one player each round can choose to roll instead of one of the available dice. The die may give you an element, crystals, extra spell space, that kind of thing, but it also gives you a new resource called destiny points, and whoever has the most of those at the end of the game can receive a significant bonus. Hmm, hit and miss as to whether that's going to work or not, but Seasons is ripe for expansion, being the card design that it is. And it's a highly enjoyable game, so I can probably guarantee I'll be getting this regardless anyway. My favourite news item of the month, though, being a very sort of nostalgia-type person, is that it has been told that HeroQuest, the classic dungeon crawl game from the last century, is getting a reprint by a Spanish company called GameZone. Now, HeroQuest was a game that I used to play with my brother a lot. 
We made up our own quests, we used the books, and we played it solidly. All the plastic little miniature pieces, playing the adventurers, we didn't paint any of them, but, you know, we'd enjoyed it nonetheless. And we'd set up quests for each other, we'd go through, and it was just so much fun. And I jumped with glee when I heard it was getting a 25th anniversary reprint, with all new designs, all new ideas, uh, reprints of the cards and the tokens and different miniatures. You know, it should be really good stuff coming out. The only slight problem, it's been done by GameZone, who are a Spanish company, and they only have distribution rights to Spain and not to other countries. However, we have been told that it is going to be released in multiple languages, and there's plenty of Spanish online shops with worldwide shipment. So at least it should be available to all of us. Maybe it might cost a bit extra to ship something like HeroQuest out, but I'm psyched. I'm really psyched for this. I would be surprised if I don't get it, just for pure nostalgia. I think we actually still own the old version. You know, the pieces are a little bit battered. I'm sure we've lost a few. It's it's had its fair share of wear and tear. But, oh my, if this reprint is any good, it's going in my collection just for nostalgia's sake. Creators of the highly popular co-op game Pandemic are releasing a new dice-based version called The Cure. It's apparently a game that can set up in less than a minute and play in less than 30 minutes. The gist of the game is pretty much like the normal version. You've got four diseases that threaten the world. It's up to your team to save humanity, yada yada yada. But this time it's done by dice that determine the actions available to you. Now... Personally, I, I quite like Pandemic, even if it does suffer from the whole alpha gamer thing every now and again. And mostly Pandemic is more of a puzzle game rather than a co-op, I would call it. You've got co-ops like Flashpoint and Ghost Stories, that kind of thing, which are very sort of on the fly. Ooh, got to do this, got to do this. You know, that quickly think, tactical thinking, that sort of thing. Pandemic I found to be more of a puzzle. You know, you get an idea of what cards are going to come up and... A lot of players have sort of thought of really good ways to beat the game, particularly on even hard difficulties, rather than just going through the motions. And, I mean, like I say, it doesn't put me off the game, but I don't quite see why it needs to be turned into a dice game. Um, I suppose, I mean, Pandemic never took very long to begin with. I mean, you could wrap up a game of Pandemic in 30 minutes pretty easily with the board game. Possibly even less, you know, depending on how much the game slaps you in the face, which it's very prone to do. But, you know, the dice game just doesn't seem like it's needed, in my opinion. But I'll keep an eye on it. I'll be interested to see how it pans out, and I'm sure that there's going to be plenty of hype about it as soon as it's released. AEG have announced for the hit game Smash Up, which is kind of like the card game version of King of Tokyo, from my opinion, it, there will be a new expansion coming in the early part of 2014. We don't know exactly what the name is going to be. There's rumours that it's going to be called Spies, and they've released a few promo pictures of various setups, like typical James Bond at a casino, various laboratory scenes, and there's even one with a giant gorilla with cyborg implant shooting lasers. God knows what that's got to do with spies, but I suppose maybe that's going for the more sort of cyberpunk style spies. But even then, I have to admit, that does seem to worry me as to what relation that's going to be to spies. However, 
that's pretty good going. I mean, Smash Up is easy to expand. You just add more races, and there's nothing wrong with having more races. I've already got Smash Up. I've got Awesome Level 9000, and I've got the Cthulhu set. So I've got my base box full entirely of different factions, and it's very popular with people I know. Some people actually prefer Smash Up to King of Tokyo, and I'm still in two minds as to which I prefer. They both scratch a different itch. But what I'm a little bit concerned about, though, is that my base box is now full and full to the brim with the expansions before. So if they had a new one, they're going to have to release a big box to hold everything in, possibly with space to hold future expansions, because at the moment the base box can't fit everything if they're going to add more expansions. So I hope they've got that in mind, because I've seen a lot of publishers not do this. Uh, Seven Wonders hasn't done it yet. You know They've been using the same base box with their little ones, and... And if they bring out, they've got more expansions on the way, actually. And if they don't increase the box size, eventually they're not going to be able to fit it. Cosmic Encounter is another one. You know, they've released expansion after expansion after expansion. And I can only just fit everything into the base box now. Arkham Horror, well, we all know the story with that after my last month, don't we? I've had to squeeze everything into a filing system in four big boxes because it's hard to fit everything in. So I hope they've got this in mind. You know, they need to take a lesson or two from people like, uh, who are they called? I think they were called Skull and Dagger or Cloak and Dagger. I forget the name. But they did Cutthroat Caverns, which is a game in my collection that basically has it's a dungeon crawl semi-co-op. You've got to work together to beat the dungeon, but you're also trying to backstab each other to get the most um, pride points um, by the end of the game. It's a really cool game, and I'll look into that more in the future review-wise. But what they did was that they gave you a fairly big box for the starter, then they released two or three little small expansions without increasing the size of the big box, and that was a problem for a while. But then they released in their fourth expansion, Fresh Meat, a huge box designed to hold everything in it, and I guarantee it works. only thing I can't fit in that box is the module adventure stories, because I sleeve my cards, and after sleeving cards and putting a box of tokens in there, I couldn't quite fit the adventure stories. But you use them so rarely anyway that they're okay to keep in a separate box because you're not really going to use them on that much of an occasion. So, AG, I hope you are thinking about this because if not, you're going to get a little bit of an uprising from fans of Smash Up. Okay, first impressions, and there's only one first impression for this episode, and that is the small filler game called 8-Minute Empire. Now, 8-Minute Empire goes quite bold and tries to pack a lot into a small filler game. It mainly incorporates set collection and area control by way of cubes on a map. And essentially, you shouldn't take 8-Minute literally, because... Yes, okay, it plays over eight turns, and if you knew what you were doing, you could easily get this out in eight minutes, one minute a turn. But you've got to explain it to people, and then obviously they're going to think about what they're doing. And from experience, generally the game will take more about 20 minutes. So it still fits the place of a filler, but eight minutes only if everybody knows what they're doing. But the way it works is that you have... A double-sided board with various maps on each side, just rough continents effectively, 
and all your cubes start in one territory. You then have a row of cards that are laid out across the top and you have to pick one of those cards each round. Now which one you pick depends on the cost and what you require because as you go up the road the cards get more expensive to buy and you only have so much money in the game to do that. Now each card has two elements to it. You have the resource that the card gives which is usually like food represented by carrots, wood represented by a Christmas tree for some reason, uh, rubies, that kind of thing. The other part is a pictorial representation of how many cubes you spawn or how many cubes you move and I believe there's a one to go overseas as well as build a citadel which is effectively a new spawning point for your cubes. Now each turn you have to decide with the money that you've got whether you need a particular resource because you want to collect all of them in the set that gives you more points or whether you want to grab the right card that moves your cubes in the way that you want them. It's a neat little idea and it's nice to see it laid out with the map and all the coloured cubes everywhere and the cards. It's not bad, but I wouldn't call it that exciting either. Um, I even think that the scoring system is more skewed towards those who go at it oversee continents and conquer areas because I just went for set collection and even though there was only a two point difference in the game, I still ended up last uh, versus the people who won that were the ones that just went for area control. It's a neat little idea though and it's packed a lot into a small filler game. Most filler games like Love Letter for example are just bluffing negotiation with about 13 cards. Here you've got a load of different colour cubes, you've got a double sided board, you've got cards and this is just in a small box designed to be played in roughly about 10 minutes time give or take. So it's a neat concept but it is quite light and at best it's going to fit well, it's, it's a bit of a niche market, I think, for something like this in a filler game. I've got games like No Thanks, Kakalaka Poker, and the highly... I haven't got Love Letter, but I do like that one. But those are really good filler games. And this one just doesn't stand out as a brilliant filler game. It's good. It's alright. I wouldn't say it was brilliant. But when compared to these other filler games, you're only going to have so many filler games in your collection. You're going to have about three or four max that you are just going to focus on and want to play over and over again. And I just think there's too much competition in the filler games market for 8-Minute Empire to really rise up to the top. It's in the high hundreds for a rank on Board Game Geek, so it's not overly loved, but it's not bad. And I was grateful for the pleasure to be able to try it. So that's 8-Minute Empire. If you're short on fillers, give it a try and see if it's one that you would like. But I could probably recommend other filler games that would be better for the cost. But see how it goes. 8 Minute Empire. And finally on to my discussion topic is board gaming cost-effective hobby. Now, with friends of mine, I get a little bit of stick every now and again because they see my board game collection increase over time and they seem to think that I'm spending far too much money on the hobby. Well, I suppose that's true to an extent. I do spend a fair amount of money on board games, but then I like to collect them. But then let's compare this to various other hobbies such as console and PC gaming, for example. Now, when you buy a console, you're paying hundreds of pounds for the console and then you could pay something £45? 
Plus, for each game, for the PC, you're spending thousands on your rig. I mean, granted, it will do things like the internet and watch movies, that kind of thing, but in effect, you are still paying thousands for that PC and then paying £30 plus per game. And there's a lot of money in that. Most board games can cost you anywhere between a fiver to £60. I've got games like Agricola and Caverna and Terra Mystica that I've, I've had to fork out 50 to £60 a piece for. But then I've got games like Survive and Kino Tokyo and Seven Wonders that were roughly around 25 to £30 a pop. And then you've got filler games like Love Letter and Gakalaka Boko, which fork out like a fiver to 10 quid. Yeah, so you can pay as much as you like for board games. And the great thing with it is because other people collect them, you don't have to buy every single game yourself. If you've got a club that you go to where loads of people have already bought Seven Wonders, for example, you don't have to buy it yourself unless you're playing with other people. Just go to the club and play their copy of Seven Wonders. And even then, certain games you could play a lot of times, you know, 20, 30 times will get your money back easily enough with even an expensive game. Most filler games will get played even more than that. And to be honest, with the component quality that you get in a lot of board games these days, the cost is still not bad when you've got to factor in things like shipping and publisher rights and designer contributions, that kind of thing. There's a lot of people that have to get paid to make a board game. So in effect, you're getting a good deal. On top of that, you have the argument that board games are timeless. A board game that was made up in the 60s and 70s can still be as popular now as it was back then. And if you bought it back then, it would still be fine enough to get out on the table and play now. It wouldn't look outdated apart from just a bit of artwork. Now, computer games work in a completely different scenario. Most computer games get updated within about a year because technology is advancing so quickly. Who remembers the old PlayStation 1? Who still owns one? I used to play that around my neighbours a lot when the original Resident Evil and Tomb Raider were out. But would I play it again now? No, of course not. I'd grab a recent console and play the most up-to-date versions. On the PC, for example, I'd play the newest Tomb Raider, not the old Tomb Raider 1. So you could pay money for that game then, get a few plays out of it, and then you'd buy the next one along. Also, with a board game, you play it, and you will play it over and over again. With a PC or console game, if it's a single-player one, once you've completed it, do you play it again? only if you're going after collectibles, but otherwise you've completed the game. There's nothing new. So what do you do with it? You sell it on, which is difficult nowadays because most games have got security tagging on them, meaning that you can't sell them on, or it just sits in your collection, not doing anything. And that's a lot of money you pay for that game, and you probably didn't even get that much in the way of time out of it. I've got games in my collection such as Far Cry 3 and Tomb Raider, and both of those are fantastic PC games, well worth it if you've got a chance to try them out. But they cost at least £30 a pop, sometimes more. And Far Cry 3, for example, I completed it in 10 days. It was a long campaign, I spent a lot of time on it, but I completed it in 10 days. Now, it was brilliant 10 days, but it's just 10 days, and I don't want to play it again now. Because I've already completed the campaign, and the multiplayer was a bit meh, not brilliant. So that was a lot of money I spent just for 10 days of entertainment. I've got games in my collection I bought in May when I started collecting them, and they are still going strong now, and they will go strong into the future easily. I mean, I'm not going to sell any of my games in my collection anytime soon, because I enjoy them that much. 
uh, let's take my family, for example. A lot of our games were bought in the 70s and 80s with, when Ravensburger was making all sorts of games. And, you know, some of those before I was born. And we play those quite a lot over time in my childhood. We didn't buy any new games. I mean, I was only just getting into board games at that point. But we still played them. They probably paid a pittance in those days for the board game, and it's getting plenty of plays. It got their money's worth. Um, another example I can think of is a game called Rawhide. It's just a roll-and-move basic mechanic based on the TV show. Nothing major to it. It has a little bit of extra stuff in it, like steers that you can collect, that kind of thing. But otherwise, it's just a simple roll-and-move game. And my dad insists we play that all the time when I go home. So... A game that was made up in the 1950s, I think it was, but even be older, I don't know. It was a really old game, but it's still getting its plays now, and they probably paid even less for a game like that. Okay, it's had its share of wear and tear, but it still lasts, and it will still get played. I'm not going to go back and find an old Nintendo just so I can play Super Mario Bros. the original again. I'm not going to go kit out my old Spectrum from in the attic load up a cassette, wait 20 minutes for the game to load. Yeah, you remember those spectrums, don't you? And then play that loads, are you? No, you're going to go on your PC and play the next Battlefield 4 or, Battle or Call of Duty. And even then, those games get updated usually every year, so you're paying £30 at that point, and you're paying another £30 then, and that's assuming you haven't bought premium subscription packages which use up more money. So you can pay a lot for PC gaming and console gaming. Just as much as board games, but I guarantee you a board game will last longer. Much longer. So, don't forget the timeless aspects of them. And the final argument with board games that I will mention is interaction. How often do your parents shout at you for spending too much time on gaming consoles at home? You're by yourself, like a zombie, staring at the computer screen, playing the game. Instead of going out and playing, or kicking the football around. Now, granted, with uh, multiplayer online games... You can potentially chat to your friends over voice. I do the same with Battlefield 4, but you're not really chatting about how was your day that often. You're mostly barking orders to your squad mates and talking about the game itself rather than more direct interaction. And even then, it's over voice cons. It's not the same as meeting someone face-to-face. -face. Board games, you go to the pub or club wherever you play them, or you get your friends around directly there. You can interact face-to-face. There's a lot to be said about what you can learn from just interacting with people on a regular basis. My job involves meeting new people quite often in terms of clients, but board games allow me to do that on a regular basis, so I'm used to it. And for kids in particular, it's a great tool to teach them being able to interact with people, especially at an early age. And that's just the interaction side of it. What about the thought processes that go into them? With games, you're just essentially reacting to what's on the game screen, and granted, it can teach you skills like reflexes and certain amount of tactical thinking, but nowhere near as much as a board game can. A board game, you've got to learn interaction with people, you've got to learn tactical thinking, you've got strategic thinking, depending on the game you're playing. I mean, obviously, you're playing the right game for the right age group, but there's a lot that you can teach a small kid by playing a board game, rather than sitting by themselves playing a console game. And also... Playing a board game is time with the family, so you've got family time with a board game. When do, you, when do your parents pick up the console gamepad with you and then play that? You know, it never happened with me. I never sat down with my mum or dad to play Sonic the Hedgehog on the Mega Drive. 
No, we sat down together and played Rawhide or, or Wildlife Adventure, you know, or some other Ravensburg game around that time. So that automatically makes board games a really great interaction and teaching tool. I mean, there are some board games that teach you various mathematical skills. You know, you've got to be careful with your money or the resource management, that kind of thing. These are useful skills for people to pick up at a young age because you can carry this into later life. Interacting with new people, tactical thinking, uh, managing money, that kind of thing. All these skills, subtle as they are in board games, do come into play. And I would, if I was given a choice of which I would quit, you know, would I quit board games or would I quit console and PC gaming? Tough decision, I'll give it that, just because of the fun I can have on things like Battlefield 4 and that. But no, I would give up gaming. Um, both PC and console gaming easily because I can get a lot from board games for a lot of my life to come that I won't necessarily get from a console or PC. I don't even own a console anymore because I just get bored with them. They get outdated so quickly. You buy the game and complete it within a week and then it's, oh, that was fun. What do we do now? And playing consoles is generally playing games by yourself. You know, not exactly Billy No Mates, but you have restrictions on what you can do with those. Board games will always look good from the moment you buy them to when you stop playing them in the future because these days artwork and component quality is top-notch with a lot of games and unless they're going to bring hologrammatic technology into board games on a retail basis, which, yeah, I'll be <laughs> interested to see how many decades that takes before it becomes mainstream, it's still not going to make old games bad even if they did. No, Go is a game that gets played, and when was that invented? I think that was invented in the 19th century. I don't think I don't even think it was a 20th century game. I think it was 19th, and people would still happily play that. Chess, okay, yeah, it's not exactly a typical board game, but it's a staple board game in the world, and people still acknowledge it as an abstract, strategic board game. So how long's chess been around? Still, I would happily sit down and play a game of chess with people. I used to be in a chess club when I was 14, you know, playing for Taunton at that stage with a load of old people. Yeah, I had a bit of a weird childhood, I must admit. But, again, that's effectively how timeless board games can be. Direct interaction, plenty of skills to learn, and a timeless effort to how they're made and how long they last. It just... It may be a costly hobby to get into if you collect them, but you can choose to pay loads or you can choose to hold back. And I think cost-effective-wise, board games are worth it if you get into it properly. Granted, you may need a little bit of money, but compared to some other things like console gaming and, I mean, golf. You know, golf, you pay a good thousand, two thousand pounds for a decent bag of clubs and then you've got to pay... A good 600 plus quid, maybe thousands again for golf membership if you go to a decent enough club. So how much money is that before you even start it? I guarantee I'm not paying that much in board games in the space of a year. So cost-effective hobby? I'd say it is. Well, I'll certainly defend it to the hilt if anybody gives me stick for it. But, you know, think hard. It's easy enough to do board gaming without spending the ends of the earth. But you will gain so much more than it. for episode 7 thank you for listening uh, just to give you a quick recap of what's to come Terra Mystica review should be up in the middle of the week I just need to get some photos done for it 
Uh, reviews coming in the later months will include Ticket to Ride Europe, uh, Survive Escape from Atlantis, and I hope to be able to get uh, Caverna reviewed at some point before Christmas. Um, it will take a few times of play to really get into it because I need to be certain I can compare it to Agricola and maybe in the future I might get time to do Seasons now that I've purchased it. Maybe that might have to wait. There's a lot to get done on top of podcasts as well, but there'll be certainly plenty to look forward to on the blog. I also would stress that I would love for you to read the blog session reports that I do for the two clubs I attend, Southampton on board and Portsmouth on board. Uh, details of how you can find out more about those are on the site and essentially I am posting up little stories of what games were being played with photo evidence to show them as well as my experiences on that day. Uh, Portsmouth is done two times in a month and Southampton is done every week. I mean I don't always attend every week so you may find there will be differences across different months depending on my commitments. You know I'm a busy man but you know, regular reports will get put up, so I'd urge you to have a read of them, and if you are in the Southampton or Portsmouth area, come along. You know, details can be found on Board Game Geek for Southampton on board. Uh, details can be found on meetup.com for Portsmouth on board. Check us out. Give me a bell. I'll tell you more if you want to know more, and I'd look forward to seeing you there. But for now, thank you for listening and playing games. I'm Luke Hector of The Broken Meeple, signing out. <laughs>